I will, I guess, admit that I have, for the most part, let life come at me. And I just surfed the waves as they came. And not I wasn't even surfing. I was just out there, you know, bobbing up and down uh, when you go out and play in the ocean. Um, yep. That kind Hold, of thing. Holding on for dear life sometimes. and Sometimes. Being... Absolutely. Sometimes you get bowled over and you're now all of a sudden you've got rocks and sand in your shorts and you got to figure all that out. I spent a lot of time playing music when growing up. Violin especially. Music. Music taught me a lot. Concentration, motivation, focus, to name a few. It was also an area that I felt I wanted to pursue for some time as well. Interestingly, how it comes around full circle. <laughs> as I pick out the music clips for this podcast, it's almost like an intimate experience again. Each one selected specifically for the guest themselves and with all sorts of other thoughts in mind. David joins me on the podcast today and shares his own full circle while starting out in the marching band. So while I was more in the seated position within the orchestra rather than marching along with a violin, <laughs> thank goodness, it certainly brought up a lot of those memories of performing and practicing and all sorts of other joys that it brought me. I'm Linda Bonney and this is Stories with a Sunday Roast. David White, welcome to the community. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for joining me for this conversation with your warm southern charm and flashing voice. <laughs> Glad to be a part of it. Yeah, it's exciting. It's definitely all coming together fast and furious. I feel like it was on a slow burn for a while and now it's on a fast cook. So <laughs> it's, get those, yeah. Get those wheels awesome. greased and things just start moving. Yeah, they do. <laughs> so... I know a little bit about you on the outskirts, more in the audio space mm -hmm. and voiceover, narration, audiobook and that sort of thing, but mm -hmm. not so much going back to outside that. Um, I know you're a father and grandfather and have that definite um, quirk here and there, which we love to <laughs> Love to hear, but tell me a little bit about your upbringing to this point. And I know you've been married for quite some time as well, so let's start way back, if you could. And well, tell me where you were born and raised. The Wayback Machine takes us to Upper East Tennessee mm -hmm. in a town called Bluntville, where I grew up. And it was an odd place, it was fairly rural. But it was still in Tennessee. It was the fifth largest county behind some of the major cities like Memphis, Nashville, Knoxville, Chattanooga, and then our county. So it was a populated area, but it was very spread out and it was a large, large area. We had my mother was a elementary school teacher. And when it was time for me to go start going to school, 
uh, I didn't go with my neighbors. I went into, quote unquote, into town with my mom and went there until I uh, got out of that school, which was into fifth grade, went on to uh, join my local friends and church friends back in the county schools and grew up there, got into band, did marching band in high school. I was, for two of my four years, I was the band chaplain. So Mm -hmm. uh, as many people would think of that, I was the nerd's nerd. (laughs) (laughs) And we don't have many marching bands in Australia, especially Tasmania. It's just not that common over here. They're out there, but they're not something you would regularly find in schools or that sort of thing. Well, I think it comes it comes down to the American football aspect, and that's when we would go sure. march. And so that's you've got a different kind of a a space, and it's just you know high schools mostly looking for getting everybody involved in wherever they want to get involved. And you know, I had to go to the football games every week. Um, hmm. Not really into sports, but definitely had to be at the football games. So. Yeah, what do you what do you remember from those moments as well? Because I imagine there'd be a certain vibe once you actually were performing in a way, a bit like many sport or music or any of those. You practice and have the work up and then the lead up and then what's it actually like to perform? Well, as far as the practice, one of the things that I, I learned is if you go to the practice field, which for us was a half a mile away from where the band storage room was and you forgot your music. Mm. Uh, <laughs> then Whoops. You learned, yeah. you learned a part really quick. It may not be your part, but you learned a part. <laughs> so you just kind of make it up as you go. The games, I didn't put a lot of effort and thought into the games, uh, performances, but then we would go on competitions. And so we would go to a regional event. It's a marching band competition. So you've got 20, 30 bands performing in a day competing against one another. And there's judges for all that. Those were fun because you could get up in the stands and cheer for the other bands and watch the cool stuff that they did. And um, that was a that was a fun thing. And always that involved a bus trip. So, you know, it was a, it was a field trip uh, of sorts. Uh, uh-huh. so you got to sit on a bus with all your friends and go stay in a hotel somewhere. And sometimes we would go down to Orlando and, and march near Disney and then get to go to the park afterwards or something like that. So. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. It's because growing up, I was in more of the orchestra type space. Mm-hmm. So it didn't have to coordinate feet and music and playing as well. <laughs> But I do remember that performance vibe, if you like. It almost has a certain um, appeal in a way which it gets the heart pumping at times or it gets this level of satisfaction which mm-hmm. it can be hard to find just in the regular old everyday practice. We had concert band as well uh, was what we called it. Oh, that was yep, the, yep. The, what we did in the winter and spring because you weren't outside marching around in the cold. But I also participated a couple different years. They would do a musical at in the drama department, and so I would participate in the orchestra for that. And so we did, my freshman year, we did Camelot. And so that was, that was neat to be 
kind of behind the scenes. And I think some of that has carried over into what I like to do now. And mm, just that mm-hmm. being there in that theatrical environment, not necessarily yeah. on stage. I didn't yeah. do well when I tried that, but behind the scenes, the technical aspects, I do live sound for events. Now I am the, um, the sound and AV guy at my church. I'm technically on staff, meaning I get paid. But I do this for my day job. I do it partly as a hobby with my audio and voiceover experiences. I edit podcasts. So that whole world may have really kind of started there. I was also raised Mm -hmm. in a church where we had a large group of youth doing big choir, but also orchestra there as well in a small church. And so we were very blessed to have all of that. But it was really it really informed where I'm at today. And from there, I went to a school to, to learn audio production and studio recording is where I thought I was headed and then didn't feel that and ended up going into video production before Mm -hmm. I graduated. And so Mm -hmm. I took all the courses that that were required for the audio portion and all the courses required for the technical part, even though I didn't get the degree for it, but the technical part of, the video production. So graduated there in 92 mm-hmm. and, you know, have a bit, look back. Bits changed since then in the video world, I'm sure. <laughs> and the audio. When I actually went back to school after I graduated and took what we called it the truck class, but it's the, it's that mobile truck that sits out behind the sports event that uh, has all the people crammed in it. And there's a TV production studio on a, on wheels took that class and because of that was able to go use the school in middle Tennessee state university in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, the geographic center of the state. I got to use the very first nonlinear editor that they had bought wow. one of the very first ones to use it. So I used an avid for the first time there. And then when I went to my first day job, that where I was required to do that, that's what I asked for. Didn't get the Avid, but I got a similar product <laughs> and yep. started with nonlinear editing. People now think of Final Cut Pro or, or Adobe Premiere or th- products like that. And so that's what I've been doing since basically since 1994. Yeah, wow. <laughs> and how have you found that that's then worked into your family and things like that around you because I know even for me, my kids love to come in and have a go with the microphone and even the music that we listen to in the house is impacting them already and they're only 10, 7 and 1. And I find that it's quite immersive as a family if you're in the audio space for the family to then get involved as well. Has that been your experience? You know, I didn't bring my work home. It's oh, okay. uh, mm-hmm. it's an interesting thing. I Number one, back then, the gear was not cheap. And so it's not Mm-mm. like today when you've got a laptop and an audio interface and 
four monitors and all that stuff. I mean, this <laughs> yep. was, you know, to get a 20 inch monitor, it was about $1,200. You know, uh, my first computer at my first job was an 80 megahertz computer. It was a Apple 8180, what they called it. It was mm-hmm. the old beige Apple computers. Oh, yeah. Yep. And it, it had, we, we, crank the RAM up to 64 meg. And the first hard drive that, that I got was nine gigabytes. Oh, and, and both wow. of those, the two of those each cost $2,400 a piece. Yeah, right. <laughs> so it was, it was a different time. So there was no, hey, I'll just do this at home as well. Yeah. You know, yeah. laptops imagine- were slower than Christmas. And heavy. Yeah. And hard oh, yeah. to transport and all that sort of thing. So it really took until about 2015 when my son had been moved out for a little bit. My daughter was moving out to go do her thing. And basically I had access to an extra bedroom or so and could set up a space and, and realized, wait, I have all the technology and access to any technology that I want. And I can... I can do anything I need to. And I've been doing this. I've been using my voice because I have been doing video production since the beginning of my career in 94, because I'm the closest voice to me. And mm-hmm. if I needed uh, a narrator or, or a storyteller, I, I'm right there. And so that's what I've been doing. Then it finally clicked. Hey, there's a way to do this and specifically make money from it or at least try to make money from it, which is (laughs) so far what I'm learning, make a little bit of money. Yeah. Yeah. And has that been fulfilling in a different level for you? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's been, Mm. it's been nice to, um, our mutual friend, Kim White, uh, she, she encourages me to build my confidence muscles and take personal credit and, just shut up and say thank you. She wouldn't say that. <laughs> but just to say thank no, you. No, she, she wouldn't. <laughs> to say thank you for compliments that come my way. Mm-hmm. You have a great mm-hmm. voice. Well, that I deflate everything that they say. But no, now I'm learning. <laughs> thank you is all that they want to hear. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's right. Exactly. And. It's interesting how often we do that and how often I think we're – it's probably quite an early learning that we discover in some ways of how the people around us can react to those compliments or that sort of thing and what we observe or the feelings sometimes of embarrassment if it's – in front of others that we're getting complimented as well. So yes, it's quite, quite an interesting. Yeah. I don't know where that, I guess part of the thing is I, maybe that comes from the band aspect and that was my arena because it was always a group effort. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I did not technically excel at much personally, you know, just individually excel. I was always, I did my part as part of a group, whether I was in the church orchestra or the theater orchestra or marching band or all those different things. I didn't play on many teams, but when I played sports, I was always on some sort of a team. 
mm-hmm. kind of a thing. So I always deflect and point out the value that the team brings and how much better I am because of the team. So that's early on. And my mom and dad, they weren't highly passionate individuals. Yep. You know, so the, uh, my dad wasn't into the sports and jumping up in the middle of the bad call or screaming at the TV or anything like that. Th- that just wasn't my environment. My, I guess there was school spirit at my high school. Uh, the, Definitely was little school spirit at my state college that I went to. Football team didn't win a lot. Um, (laughs) They were successful, but they just didn't win, and it wasn't a big deal. Our neighbors down the street, about 200 miles, is the University of Tennessee, and and that's where Peyton Manning, I mean, most people know Peyton Manning. That's where he went to school. I mean, that's how... That's a big school. I mean, you're talking 105,000 people that'll fit in that stadium. Whoa, what? So it's amazing. Um, that's ha- half the population of Hobart. I was just about, well, that's at many different points. That's insane to me. So, yeah, well, that's, I mean, again, that's, that's football here in, in the States, American football. And <sighs> that's what people gather to do. And again, just, not connecting with that on a deep emotional level. It just, it just never, I was never worried about it. And so that's kind of where my, um, I don't want to call it a lack of passion, but just there's not a love for the game as it were. Mm. I I have smaller, we'll call it smaller interests. There's there's a better term for that, but. Yeah. Yeah. Well, over in Australia, they kick around a diamond shaped oval slash bowl <laughs> so you know <laughs> all sorts of um, strange and weird wonderful ways and like yourself I, I've never found a great love for AFL or footy uh, it's very rarely turned on in our house um, mm-hmm. my Mum still likes to enjoy a game and sit down to watch, and sometimes the kids will watch with her, but generally mm. it's nothing that we religiously need every week <laughs> weekend. And so there's different aspects of that, I suppose, as well. So Yeah, I don't have a lot in my life that I, I guess I would say I'm religious about in that regard as far as, my must see TV. Of course, now it's all streaming, mm-hmm. so I can watch it whenever I want. I can take my computer and do work to some degree from wherever I want. I have a pretty flexible experience uh, in that regard. And so there's not a lot of got to be there, got to do a thing. Even, you know, if my favorite band comes into town or whatever, if I even, another, another thing we can bring up and talk about, couldn't tell you exactly who my favorite band is. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I have probably 25 to 30 uh, movies in my top 10 list. Yep. <laughs> I yep. just, I just don't <laughs> narrow things down like that. Uh, I don't know. That's, that's been a, <laughs> that's been a ponderance for me for a long time. <laughs> Do you want to expand on that pondering for me and tell me your thoughts around that? Especially alongside the permission to win journey that you're undertaking sure. as well. Yeah. Permission to win is our 
new podcast that I co-host with Tim White, who is not related, but relatable. And <laughs> Just coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolute coincidence. Um, I guess my... I don't, again, I don't know if it's just a lack of passion or if it, what, where it comes from that I don't have, I guess life has sometimes just dictated that you don't know what's coming next. And so don't get your hopes up maybe to mm. be able to go and do a specific thing or, or keep a certain schedule. I'm also lousy with calendars. And so that doesn't help. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, my wife busses at me. Uh, for the last 30 years that we've been married, 32 years, uh, that, you know, I, I'm blind to calendars. She's, she always maintained a really good family calendar, color-coded. I was a, I think I was orange. The kids were different colors, and she had her own color on the calendar, on the oh, refrigerator. Wow. And <laughs> I just couldn't see it. Well, I wrote it on the calendar. Uh, that doesn't mean anything to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so mm -hmm. that's not, that wasn't, the best way to, to handle things. I just, but I would walk by it on my way in and out of the house and open the door to the refrigerator. I just, it just didn't click. I will, I guess, admit that I have for the most part, let life come at me and I just surf the waves as they came. And not, I wasn't even surfing. I was just out there, you know, bobbing up and down uh, when you go out <laughs> and play in the ocean. Um, yep. That kind Hold, of holding on for dear life sometimes and sometimes being... absolutely sometimes you get bowled over and you're now all of a sudden you've got rocks and sand in your shorts and you got to figure all that out but for the most part it's just kind of out there taking it as it comes and looking back at over 50 years probably wasn't the exact way to do that maybe i should have adulted a little bit better is there really a an exact or true way to adult that is <laughs> successful well, or more successful? Because, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely still learning a lot of those lessons. <laughs> well, I would say active engagement is probably mm. something as opposed to passive enjoyment. I think I've always been there. I've always been the reliable person. People can count on me. Um, mm -hmm. I guess I like to live in the hero moment and those moments when you can just jump in, solve somebody's problem and walk away. It's kind of like being an eternal grandparent. Sure. You can, yeah, yeah. you can be there. You don't have the layer of responsibility that's always there, but you sure can jump in, look really good, and then step back out of the way. And people are like, wow, you know that, David, he, he sure is helpful. But then did he actually get done what he needed to get done that was on his plate? Or did mm -hmm. he just show up and help somebody else clean off their plate? and then sacrifice what he needed to be doing. Which is part of the, the greater goal of the, of the mission of the team, you know, and, but at the same time, so some, I may help somebody else get their stuff done and I may not get my stuff done. So sometimes the mission is sacrificed because of my preference of being, I guess, the hero. Let's call it mm -hmm. like that. 
Mm. I don't that, think you're alone. In the, in no, no, I think that's, I think that's easy. I think we like that. Uh, that, that, but that's definitely been a thing at my house as well. I mean, I have at times struggled to not be the one who goes to help a buddy when something needs to be done at my house. It's not fun mm-hmm. to do the thing that you've got to do. It's much more fun to go and think, do the thing that you want to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're right. I think I'm not unique in that. Mm. Yeah. And I think part of becoming reliable to yourself and not just to others is, I guess, accepting that life does throw all sorts of things at us and instead of maybe looking at them as a distraction, it's more, well, in many ways that's just the way it is and Mm -hmm. that's easier said than done to actually live alongside. We can know that in our head. We can say that out loud on a podcast but to actually engulf it in a way that we're living it and know it in in us to our core mm-hmm. can be a very hard, <laughs> hard journey, I think, in many ways. Yeah, and, and you asked about permission to win, and that, that kind of is an exploration of some of that for me. Mm. We're talking about ways that our lives need permission Mm. in all ways. The basic philosophy for me with that, and I'll keep it short, the basic philosophy is based on relationships. So right now, you and I have a relationship. You're very far away, so I can only put a certain level of effort into that relationship Because we're on opposite sides of the globe. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) But you also have a relationship with your child. You also have a relationship with your computer. You have a relationship with the vehicle that you drive or the sports team that you do or don't love. Mm -hmm. You put into those relationships and the coffee cup that you get from the barista. Those are fleeting relationships, some of them. Some of them are permanent relationships. So, But everything that you deal with there is a layer of relationship that goes along with that. And you put into that relationship what it, number one, deserves, and number two, you how you value it. And so the coffee cup, that thing's going away soon. But mm. if you squeeze it too tightly, it's going to scald you. <laughs> if you don't put gas in your car, it's going to let you down because it's going to quit moving. And, get, and doing what its function is. If you don't take care of your child, then they're going to grow up and be <laughs> lousy, <laughs> potentially. <laughs> Who knows? You know, whatever happens, they may, maybe they're better off. I don't know. But you, you, but you understand what I'm saying. You put yeah. into that relationship what you feel. And, yeah, you put into that relationship what you want to get out of it. The hmm. permission to me is the layer of communication that sits on top of our relationships. So your car gives you permission, and this is weird, your car gives you permission to ignore it and not put oil in it, and it will keep going for a while. 
but but it also puts on a light and says, I need oil. And it's asking for, would you please put oil in me? And if you don't, or if you abuse it, if you drive it the wrong way, then mm-hmm. again, it's going to let you down in a different way. So that permission comes, it's mostly with individuals that we have that relationship. Yes, you may hug me. No, you may not kiss me mm-hmm. when we greet. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Uh, whatever, that's a very simple explanation, but no, you may not speak to me in that manner. You know, mm-hmm. whatever our layer of relationship is, that permission is the communication that says how that relationship will be acted out. Yeah, I find this so fascinating. And what intrigues me is different relationships that have their own levels of understanding or in, let's say, relationship with your wife for 32 years, it's a very Mm -hmm. different dynamic. We all do communicate in different ways and then added to that there's also perception. So I may perceive that you are talking to me in a blunt fashion and understand you've just had a bad day and can put two and two together. If I do not have that understanding or if I'm already having a bad day myself, mm-hmm. the way that you have communicated to me may appear 10 times more blunt. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm. Well, so this kind of is a this quick little revelation that just came to me right now. There are barriers to understanding one another. You're, like you said, perception. There are language barriers you know, what each mm-hmm. word means to what a word means to you and what a word means to me, again, from different sides of the globe. We only um, had this conversation last night with my uh, myself and my my yes, partner about different words and I used a few words and he said, Oh, those words have no meaning. And that's when the conversation and communication just turned south, turned mm-hmm. sour. Well it, that I, all of a sudden I had, it was late and it was midnight and we'd have both had quite a big day and that was our only opportunity we've had really to talk mm-hmm. all day because of work commitments and all sorts of things. So there was already <laughs> already a little yeah. bit stacked up against us. But once it hit that point of your words have no meaning, which is only his experience or perception or his statement of what seems obvious to him to me that sounded like you're not understanding what I'm saying or acknowledging my communication or you're and not so, important yes and yep. and that's where we all want to be important to the people that we care about and we want to have value and that is a struggle the you know in inside of that For instance, I think that permission, going back to that, you need to, in a, in a loving, long-term committed relationship among other relationships, but especially there, you need to have permission to be able to, and we'll call it a safe word for now, but it's like, okay. And there's so many layers here. So many. (laughs) He's, he's having a bad day. I'm giving mm. him permission to be grumpy right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
we're not going to continue in this long term because that that changes the nature of the relationship. I need to give myself permission to accept his grumpiness. Mm. That's hard if you're it is already absolutely, <laughs> absolutely hard because we we mm. take it personal. That maybe mm-hmm. is the, one of the higher levels of you know before you get down into the the minutia, but at the higher level is I give myself permission to not take everything everybody else says personally and get wound mm. up just because somebody says something that that doesn't track. Mm. I had we'll go back to to me for a second. Yeah, please. <laughs> I had, I had a, uh, <laughs> experience back in December of 21 and that made me sound really old and ancient some back in December of 21 we <laughs> no, anyway, in 2021 uh, I had a, a zoom call with a prospective business interaction person not a, right. not a partner yep. not a not a client but we were going to work together on potentially some stuff uh, we were talking specifically about audio. Her realm is helping presenters feel comfortable and do a better job when they step on stage. Mm. That's her role. We were talking what I, as what I thought was backstage or behind the curtain about the people that we work with. Because I am an audio guy, so I'm the responsible one for making sure that they have their microphone on and getting them you know, out onto the stage. Her mm. job is to prep them before they stand up out of the audience to walk up to the stage. Mm. And, you know, and, and prior to that, to be a good presenter and all those things. And so I was joking, as I am wont to do. I'm, again, and Kim's trying to help me with this. I'm, I'm a rather self-deprecating type of person, and I kind of use that as my uh, di- diffusion or my humor to calm the person that I'm dealing with down, especially when they're getting ready to go into a, a stressful situation, like walking up on stage. Yep. But at the again, same time, I don't think, I don't think you're unique in that. I think there's lots of no. people who are, I know lots of people who do that too. Mm. Uh, yeah. And I mean, I grew up watching in the eighties, watching mash. And that was that to me, that's the quintessential, it's the cut down show. And that's, and that's fine. It's just, that's kind of the way I think a lot of people interact. You have to rein it in, and I'm, that's what I'm trying to learn. But mm. when I was exp- explaining this to her, it's like, yeah, I know exactly how, what you mean. When those people, they come out and they're like, well, I don't need to wear a microphone on stage, do I? And sometimes I would say this, depending on how well I know the person, but I, w- I explained to this potential partner, I was like, you know, you don't have to wear a microphone unless you don't care that the audience hears what you have to say. Mm-hmm. And so that's a little snarky. And I made a few other, but you know, again, backstage behind the curtain comments about how I experienced people like that. She was suddenly appalled and just shut me down and said, do you not know you're in a job interview? Oh, wow. And I'm like, wait, I am. I just thought we were going to try to figure out how to do business together. Oh, yes, that means I am in a job interview. I am mm-hmm. not going to be her employee. She is not going to be my employee, but we are going to be working together. That was a sideline, total revelation. Every time you meet somebody for the first time or even, you know, again for the first time, 
then that's a job interview. How mm. much time and effort am I going to put into this relationship? And is mm-hmm. it worth it? What does it so, deserve? What's its value? Exactly. So mm-hmm. I was my finger and I'm not this person, but my finger was over top of the leave chat or leave zoom button. And yep. I was just going to ghost because she had caught me off guard and I was just like, you are, you've got to be kidding. Uh-huh. But I stopped. <laughs> um, I don't know if I did it from the, for the right reason or just from don't need to be rude kind of mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. But I continued to listen and she explained to me what I hear is somebody who's very bitter. What I hear is somebody who does not give grace to the people who are scared to death about having to go do a thing. Ouch. And I had to stop and really think about that. And it's, it's one of those situations where I don't know that I really ever want to communicate with that person ever again, Mm -hmm. but I would, I will maybe, but that, gut punch that she gave me and I don't think she gave it to me to be nice. I think she just gave it to me, um, Mm. which was interesting because that kind of goes again. It kind of goes back to what I was doing to people. Um, ironic. It's a mirror. Exactly. (laughs) And so I stopped and that was early in the morning and I didn't get much done the rest of the day. I was, I was reeling from, from that, revelation it's like oh my gosh i am i an absolute turd Mm, it's quite memorable it very Mm. it very well was and and of course that helped me as i've rethought some of the ideas that we've brought out in permission to win and things like that and that has really you know 2022 I, i have tried to figure out a way to be a little bit more gracious when it comes to people um when it comes to the people that I have to direct in that realm and in other areas, uh, mm. I'm trying to spread that, you know, out across different aspects of my life and to make sure that I'm not just intolerant of their ignorance, which is what it comes down to. Yeah. They don't know how to do the things I do. And if I'm intolerant of that, my goodness, why should they ever want to talk to me a second time? Mm. That got heavy. Mm. And it sounds like, yeah, <laughs> it sounds like there's been quite, in some ways, without knowing all of the stuff in between, but quite a evolution since the good old band days or even 10, 20 years ago within the family or that sort of thing where like you said, you would have just left or put the head in the sand and become the emu or the yeah. ostrich over there mm-hmm. <laughs> and just gone, nope, next problem, let me find somebody else, someone else to save. Quick, find me another, you know, <laughs> another project, if you like, another soul to focus on because I just want to forget this has ever happened and move on well, really quickly. I think there's an aspect of age that we mm-hmm. really kind of get truly set in our ways. Uh, yeah. 
<laughs> if you don't really just figure out ways to be pliable and flexible and, you know, yes, you're going to have to get up off the couch and go help somebody pick up toys as opposed to just sitting on the couch and going from Netflix to Paramount to whatever it is. So, yeah, you have to continue to put in the effort. You have to continue to flex those kindness muscles and those human interaction muscles and the permission and relationship muscles to continue dealing with people in a and have positive experiences. Yeah. And I think it's also coming back to those positive, not only experiences, but positive relationships, both mm-hmm. with yourself and other people. Because as we age or expand into new, exciting, enticing opportunities, we're expanding sometimes rapidly or expanding in a way where sometimes something else needs to let go or some we have a revelation like you did mm-hmm. and all of a sudden we start to hmm, it's cliche but move to a different sort of level or a different sort of mindset or way of approaching different situations and because we're expanding I think it's really important for us to have a solidness of character or personality, if you like, that we continue to come back to instead of stepping up, 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 and mm-hmm. in some ways forgetting who who we are in that and concentrating on relationships with all of the other people and forgetting about the relationship with ourself. Yeah. That personal, personal individual self relationship is probably one of the hardest things to maintain. And yeah. Yeah. I, I have no idea exactly how to do it. No, I'm, neither do I. Work on that <laughs> mastermind. And uh, yeah, I mean, if I can be a better me, we can be a better we. That's mm-hmm. profound. I don't even know where that came from. Um, Mm. but that's the gist. And to go back to the early days, I mean, consistency, you know, I've always been quote unquote consistent. I've always been reliable. That's what my parents were. That's what I watched them do. They are still alive, still married. And Mm. so I've, I, again, self-deprecating. I joke about that. Yeah. My parents are the crazy ones that are still married. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I so I devalue even that by my mm-hmm. words, and mm-hmm. uh, even though interesting, <laughs> because to me it's normal. Yep. Watching somebody be married for fifty, almost sixty years now, to me is normal. And so our kids grow up with whatever they grow up with, and that is their normal. And so that is what they expect my wife did not grow up with that consistency and uh, permanence. And it took me a long time, I think about six or seven years to really convince her that I was coming home every night Mm -hmm. and then I would be here for the long haul. And because that's not what wasn't her experience watching her parents. Mm. And so 
it's 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 really interesting and i've really thought about that with my kids and how trying to just make sure that they knew that they were let me back up and just say this all kids want is consistency and love they want mm-hmm. us to they don't it doesn't matter how hard we are on them quote unquote or whatever i, I think the kids just want to know constantly that they are loved and cared for everything else they'll either forget about or they'll (laughs) weave it into their understanding of life later on when they realize why we had to be a certain way as they look back and be like, Oh, now I get it. Oh, there's the (laughs) person on zoom that I want to leave right now. (laughs) There's another revelation. There's, Oh (laughs) yeah. Yep. Definitely. So thinking back to your parents who are the crazy ones still married Mm -hmm. all these years Mm -hmm. later, (laughs) tell me about your favorite Sunday roasts in those memories. So I'm going to ask you to explain that a little bit more. What, uh, when you say roast, are you thinking of a pot roast? Yep. Pot roast, a pot roast for you. We have roast lamb over here. So, Mm. Mary had a little lamb with milk jelly. (laughs) Exactly. Almost. (laughs) Um, I guess those Sundays, typically, we always went to church on Sundays, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and Wednesdays. It was almost always Mm -hmm. at church. Mm -hmm. That does not describe my life now, but that was the way we did it. And we would come home from, by the time I was in high school and and maybe a little bit before, we had what we called, see, it's come in full circle. We had what we called band pizzas. Mm. And that's what Mm -hmm. we referred to them as. The high school band, even before I was there, we had a, a, a source. They would sell these little pizza kits. And so you got a crust and some sauce and, you know, just like you buy at the grocery store as a kit. Yep. But you would get like a pack of six or eight or whatever for so much money. And it was a band booster thing. They, that's how the band made money to go on trips. But Sunday night after church, that was the time to throw in a band pizza. And we sat down around the kitchen table and we had usually all, uh, PBS, the public broadcasting, and we were watching nature. That was almost always what we watched uh, was the show uh. nature. And so... We'd be watching birds and matings and eatings and <laughs> whatever they show on nature. <laughs> and we would talk about that and we would talk about what happened at church or whatever. And unfortunately, uh, and you're, you're approaching these days with your 10 year old for sure. But, you know, eventually it's like, I don't, I don't want to sit here with these old people and, mm-hmm. and talk about birds oh, and things like I that. Know. I, I want to stay, I want to hang around at church with all my friends or go out and to the, get pizza at the pizza joint and do that. But those, I do remember those nights. Those are con- fairly consistent and that's kind of what I remember. Mm, good relationship, mm-hmm. building opportunity as well uh, by the sounds of it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mom was an elementary school teacher. My dad was a blue collar electrician and uh, maintenance guy and both of them as consistent as the day is long and very little wavering. I, I would hear my dad complain about my mom when she was in the store and 
and we he and I would sit in the car and I bet she's in there buying the whole store. But that was probably the the biggest complaint that he ever said verbally about my mom. And they weren't passionate. They weren't going out dancing and doing all those things. They were just consistent. Yeah. Yep. Very important. Mm. Thank you so much for joining me. This conversation has definitely taken its own twists and turns and all the <laughs> <laughs> oh, all the other things, which is a big part of what I'm really enjoying, actually. The, the contrast to your experience with consistency, these conversations are actually quite inconsistent in their in their substance but consistent in their in their outcome which is a full gratitude and yeah just an honor to be able to connect on the other side of the world about all sorts of bits and pieces and everything else so thank you so much for joining me absolutely thank you linda what a wonderful conversation. Of course, <laughs> they all are. And I so very appreciated getting to know David a little bit more, diving in a little bit deep and hearing so many different aspects of, yeah, the little bits I did know and extending on that. Another beautiful individual that I had the pleasure of Getting to know just a little bit more is Kat Cuchado. <laughs> Her episode, What's for Dessert, is just is sprinkled with her infectious laugh and personality which she brings to the table every single time. Take a quick listen. After all, that laugh will drag you right in. My mom is Welsh, so my mother would make all of this stuff, and I was her guinea pig. And she would call me in, and I'd, you know, and I'd say, "What, mom?" She goes, "Open your mouth." I go, "What is that?" She goes, "Just shut up and open your mouth." And I would just eat it, and I was like, "Oh, that's good." So I, you know, my husband knows what I like. (laughs) My brothers were like, "Yeah, no, I'm not eating that." I would love you to head over to lindabonnie.com where you can find out more about what's currently happening on this little side of the world and definitely reach out. I would love to hear from you. Welcome to the community. Thank you so much for joining us.